welcome to episode 26 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined again by of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are we doing? You know, I feel like I've lived and died about four times today with that Bears game. Uh, didn't get to see any of the White Sox game today where they walked in the winning run, so that's good for my health. So overall, I cannot complain. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I saw a different Chicago team put up 16 points, so I'm pretty good with that. Well, ah. Let's call them runs. Uh, so uh, I was having a chance to watch the Bears, and my uh, cardiac health thanks me for it, apparently. So um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Anyway, we're at uh, episode 26, uh, notable 26. It's a uh, retired number worn by Billy Williams, my dad's all-time favorite player, but it was also worn by Jimmy Fox, player and coach portrayed by Tom Hanks in a league of their own. So, Pat, how about 26 for the White Sox? Wait, before I get started, that's who Tom Hanks played in a league of their own? I thought it was Jimmy Fox, wasn't it? I was going to say, I guess I never registered who he was playing. I just kind of thought he was playing himself. <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest. I've never watched the, the whole thing all the way through. As soon as I, you know, it's just, there's just too much Madonna. I just yeah, can't handle that. Fair enough. But we might I've need, always we caught might, pieces of it. Yeah, we might need to get R&D in on that one. But anyhow... Uh, number 26 is for the Southsiders. We got a couple notable ones. In 1961, Don Larson, the only dude to ever throw a perfect game in the World Series, wore, wore uh, 26. He didn't do that with the Sox, unfortunately. Some other notable ones, Dick Kenworthy wore it for a couple seasons in the 60s. Bobby Benilla wore it. Uh, El Duque Orlando Hernandez, uh, one of my favorite players on that 05 team, wore it. And most recently... Uh, the guy who had probably my favorite individual White Sox season of all time in 2017, Avisail Garcia. And most notably, uh, last we forget, Nellie Fox wore it from 1950 to 1952, his first couple seasons with the White Sox. He, of course, the Hall of Famer, 1959 MVP and 15-time All-Star. Uh, switched to number two a couple years in, so that is his number retired with the White Sox. But his humble roots were with the number 26, so uh, lest we forget. Yeah, he had to shed that weight of that extra number, and then he was able to uh, get around those quicker. 15-time All-Star. You don't see that very much anymore. Uh, so we're going to start the way we always do. I'm in a good mood, so I'm going to go second, so we you know, end on like a high note. Pat, how did the White Sox do today, game by game? So or This we week, won- I should say. Yeah, I mean, we won two games. We went two and four, bringing our overall record to 65 and 89. Um, you know, I mentioned last week we finally passed that 62-win threshold, so every win we get now is more than last year, so it's just icing on the cake now. Uh, the improvement's just insane. I say that with, of course, a ton of jest, but let's uh, take it through this week. Started off with a series against the Royals at home. Monday was an off day, so we began play on Tuesday. Um, this was a three-game series, and we went into it tied on the year with the Royals, which is just disgusting to think about, but let's go. Uh, Tuesday, 7-3 win against the Royals. Got off to a fast start with an Eloy Grand Slam in the first inning. Uh, the Royals got all three of their runs on solo shots from Edibel to... Oh my god, I butchered that. I'm not going to try his first name again. Mondesi, uh, Alex Gordon, and Alex O'Hearn. Uh, the Sox got three more... With, or, yeah, yeah, the Sox got three more with an Ingles solo home run in the second. They got a Yoan two-run homer in the seventh. Overall, pitching was pretty good. Nova was went five and two-thirds with five strikeouts, one of his higher strikeout outputs of the season and only three earned, and the bullpen was solid. Wednesday, Dollar Dog Night. Uh, you know, Dollar Dog Night's always a special night. I only got to five, which, you know, bad night, bad night on the field. I guess uh, sports are a metaphor for life. We lost six to eight that game. 
Uh, the Sox on the field, they led 3-2 to two after the first thanks to a three-run Eloy homer, so he was on fire to start the week. Uh, the Royals, again, came back. They had a lot of home runs. Uh, Soler hit two. Mondesi had another one. Starling had one. O'Hearn had another one. Abreu was able to kind of salvage something. He got it to 8-6 with a home run late in the game, but alas, that was all we could muster. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, not great. Four and two-thirds, nine hits, six earned, six strikeouts. All four of those, uh, or all of his runs coming on home runs. Thursday, this was the rubber match of the year. Would we or would we not beat the garbage Royals on the season series? And, of course, because this is what makes sense in 2019, we did not. We lost that game 3-6. to six. Uh, Soler, this is getting old, hit another home run to get the Royals going in the first uh, we were able to tie it at two after an Eloy RBI single in the third and an Abreu sacrifice in the fifth. Uh, from there, the Royals were able to put it away. Dozier had a three-run homer in the sixth off Giolito, which Giolito was pretty good up until then. He went six innings, gave up five earned on five hits with 12 strikeouts at one point, striking out eight guys in a row, which I believe was a franchise record. But unfortunately, those home runs were too much to overcome, and we lose the game and the season sick to my stomach to the Royals. Uh, so... In the words of true uh, sports prophet Bill Belichick, we're on to Seattle. We had a weekend series in Seattle against the Mariners. Uh, winning on Friday, it was a back-and-forth game, a 9-7 win. Abreu had a home run in the first. Seattle got three back then. We were able to get it to 5-3, kind of a back-and-forth game. Uh, eventually, we got it out to 8-3 after an angle home run in a uh, Moncada three-run double. Uh, the Mariners got it to 8-7, but Eloy had a home run in the ninth to push us ahead one more run, and we held... Uh, the lead from there, you know, not a great pitching game. Dylan Covey was on the mound, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, Saturday, we lost 1-2 to to the Mariners, so not a great game. Although Dylan Cease did have one of his better outings on the season. He went 5, giving up 1 earned on 3 hits with 3 walks and 5 strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches, which is kind of his usual. Uh, 100 pitches, 62 for strikes. Uh, but, you know, he held on. He, you know, held him. That was, that was important there. Unfortunately, offensively, we didn't do too great. Uh, our only run was on a Colin, Zach Collins RBI on a fielder's choice in the seventh. And as irony had it, uh, Omar Narvaez, who was traded from the White Sox in the offseason for Alex Colome, hit a walk-off home run off Alex Colome in the 10th inning, although it's kind of controversial because it didn't look like the ball actually left the yard. It looked like it hit off the top of the fence, but nobody challenged it for whatever reason, and we lost. Uh, moving on to Sunday. Uh, this one, honestly, uh, was during the Bears game, so that'll tell you how much I watched it live. We lost 10-11, to 11. Uh, just, you know, kind of a back-and-forth game. Seattle had five in the fourth. We shot out for eighth in the fifth off of Wellington, Castillo, Grand Slam, and an Adam Angle three-run home, so some unlikely heroes there. So, uh, so we were able to get it to 10, all the way out to 10-5, to five, and then we blew a five-run lead and walked in the winning run, so I don't really want to talk about that game anymore. Uh, like I said, overall, not a... Terrible week, I guess, all things considered, because we won two games and not zero. So I'll choose to look at the positives here. The zero low bar has made you a much more passive fan in this uh, late season. I just have a few questions about the week. One, do you think they lost the season series for the Royals because they don't play the game the right way, as, as the Royals often do? It, you know, it could be just the baseball gods being like, you know, these guys, they don't respect the game. You know, they bat flip, they show people up. They may, you know, even during batting practice, might not be wearing their hats the right way. So maybe we deserved it. That's a good way to look at it. This was completely out of our control and should not be a reflection on us whatsoever. Definitely not. And uh, have you gone to a dollar dog at game where you did one? Where I what? Where the White Sox won. Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I have. No, wait. 
Yeah, I did. July 3rd. That was the last one. I remember that one fondly. I only had two hot dogs that game, but we won, so maybe that's kind of ended up going on there. I should look more into with our science department. Definitely. The uh, Did the hot dogs go down? Even though you only had two, did they go down easier when you were winning? Oh, they trust me. I almost got tired of winning. They went down so smooth. I was like, ah, oh, man, I, I wish this would be a little tougher on my gastrointestinal tract. But, you know, at a certain point, we just got to put up with winning, as tired as we may get. Fair enough. So I'm going to move on to the Cubs. Um, after last week's sky is falling meatball rant, I was uh, first half of the week I was pretty upset and was ready to continue on with that rant, but they the Cubs got it together. Um, so we'll just go a game at a time. They went five and two, and it shouldn't. They should have won more, obviously. Um, but that leaves them with a record of 81 and 68. Pakoda, suck my ass. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, damn <laughs> Monday and their numbers. Yeah, so Monday, uh, a 10-2 win. Kyle Hendricks goes five and two-thirds, gives up one earned. Uh, Nico Horner makes his Cubs debut, uh, replacing the injured Javiers, and goes three for five with four RBI. Uh, so he transitioned well. Begs the question why Daniel Descalzo ever got at bats. But anyway, um, 10-2 over the San Diego Padres in San Diego. Uh so these were all night games and late ones at that. Uh, Tuesday, a 9-8 to loss to San Diego. Uh, they were uh, down 6-2 fairly early and clawed their way back. Uh, it was tied in the, I believe it was the 10th inning. It went into extras. And Steve Ciszek on the mound uh, hits, uh, gives up one hit and then walks three straight, the fourth of which was on four pitches. So that's a tough way to lose. Uh, Jose Quintana not looking great in that one. Only three innings pitched, four earned, one K. Uh, got the early hook, but uh, the Cubs fought back, so uh, it wasn't necessarily on him. Uh, Wednesday, a 4 nothing loss. Paddock of the Padres absolutely shut them down. Uh, and the Cubs finding another way to look inept in this game. They were only down one nothing in the eighth inning. Runners on first and third. And the runner on third steals home or attempts to steal home. And the pitcher at the time, I think it was Brad Wick, instead of just pitching the ball, stops, tries to throw it home, and airmails the catcher. So that run scores very easily, and then by that time, the life was sucked out of the team, as it often is when they're down. Uh, so the steal home kind of worked, I guess, but it was more of an error than anything else. Uh, so Wednesday, you need to find a way to get that split, or Thursday, I should say, uh, get that split, and the Cubs did just that behind their best pitcher in the second half, Hugh Darvish. Uh, it was a 4-1 to one win. Darvish went 6, gave up no earned with 14 strikeouts, so that w- and only two walks. Uh, so that was absolute domination. Not much offensively, but it was, it was good enough. It's all they needed. In the second half, U Darvish has had 93 strikeouts to only six walks. I believe he had six walks in like his first start of the year. So um, definitely a uh, night and day situation with U, which leads me to continue to believe that he should be the wild card starter slash uh, playoff starter, depending on how the division shakes out. Uh, Friday was uh, the beginning of the offensive dynamo that we've been waiting for all season, and it came at an unlikely time. The Pirates are back in town. Lester in the first inning was pretty awful. He gave up five runs in the first. The wind was blowing out um, like crazy, but the Cubs quickly took that lead back and then uh, ran with it. 
the offense blew up. Uh, Contreras had two home runs. Rizzo had a homer. Castellanos had a homer. And Nico Horner gets a home run on his first major league pitch, which is something that Wilson Contreras did as well. So it was pretty cool to see that dead center. Uh, so he's been a great pick call up. Uh, Saturday, more the same, a 14 to one win. Kyle Hendricks went seven earned uh, seven innings, one earned, uh, and we had home runs from Horner again. Uh, Victor Carantini, Ben Zobrist with his first of the year, and Chris Bryant. Uh, it's a 14 to one game, but it got interesting because Clint Hurdle, much like Ned Yost, likes to make things interesting when he's losing. Uh, three Cubs got deemed. Uh, the third bench being Dave Bodie, bench is clear. It was obvious that at least two of them were extremely intentional. Um, Castellanos was the first. It was a questionable one. Brian gets hit right in the shoulder, right in the back. And then uh, um, Bodie gets hit uh, pretty close to his head. It nicked his shoulder so that uh, it didn't directly hit him in the head. But uh, the Cubs uh, obviously were very pissed about it. The situation blew up, and then everyone calmed down. So Cubs are up 14-1, and then the ninth inning, Dylan Maples comes in. I'm excited because I love his slider. I'm ready for him to try the side. And what happens? The Cubs retaliate in Clint Hurdle fashion, beaning two batters. Dylan Maples gets pitched, but the fans were very happy about it. I was pretty happy about it because I'm really tired of Clint Hurdle's bullshit. And I was assuming that it would uh, it would come back together, uh, come back again on Sunday, but that was not the case. They actually just played a game of baseball, surprisingly. So good start for Kyle Hendricks in that one. Uh, Sunday's game, uh, Another crazy one, Jose Quintana, not great. Two and a third, five earned, one K. Uh, they had a lead early in the game, three nothing, on a Chris Bryant home run, one of steady hit. The Cubs total hit five home runs. You could tell how this is go. It was a 16 to six win um, for those keeping track at home. But uh, a bunt in the third inning, and Anthony Rizzo runs to grab it directly on his ankle, his own ankle, or his ankle twists under doesn't get the out, and is barely carried off the field, so that's not a good sign. I will say that the grass that day was extra slippery, as I was running behind home plate pretty much full speed and absolutely ate shit as well, um, to which the umpire and I became friends afterwards, because every time I was going for a ball, he told me to be careful and slow down. Um, he was a good dude. But in any case, uh, the Cubs this weekend um, sweep the Pirates. They had 14 home runs. Uh, and 47 runs scored. They have not scored that many runs in a three-game series since 1894, which begs the question, how many singles did the baseball players in 1894 have to score 47 (laughs) runs because no one was was running the second base? But in any case, uh, 5-2 on the week. Uh, The Brewers and Cardinals were playing each other late in the week, so the Brewers took two of three. And that leads us to the uh, standings. The Cubs are two back of Cardinals. They're one ahead of the Brewers in the wild card, and they're just sneaking up on the Nationals for that top wild card spot by two games. So the playoff picture is looking better than last week. The offense looks incredible, so that's nice. Um, But it was a tough week for a couple guys like John Lester and Jose Quintana. But two on the week, we'll take. Yes, let's get into a little here. I got a couple questions for you. First, uh, looking at that San Diego series, do you think that the reason the Cubs split that series is because Manny Machado's talent is outweighed by his lack of hustle? (laughs) Uh, You know what? I did not see him um, beat any infield singles, but I did see him hit a few home runs. There we go. So, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. But uh, thank God he's not on the south side. We don't need kids Uh, uh, learning how to play shortstop or third base like that. 
Could you imagine if we had young guys like Wellington, Castillo, and Jose Abreu loafing because they're following him? It would be disgusting. But anyways, uh, we're going to do a little crossfire <laughs> here. Quick, quick fire. Second question. Who is the opening day second baseman for the Cubs in 2020? Is it Nico Horner, Addison Russell, or maybe an outside-the-box option like Yolmer Sanchez? <laughs> uh, I would love to say Yolmer because I love Yolmer. But um, I, I think... I think they'll go Horner if he keeps playing like this. They might just play it safe and play Russell, but uh, I, I honestly think might as well go with the the youth movement that this kid can play, man. And he's really, really fast. Um, and he runs like me, where my strides are about a foot and a half apart. So it, to get that 90 feet um, to first base, he plays about 22 to 23 strides, much like myself. So I see myself in him. I enjoy watching him play. And uh, he's a fun guy. Uh, after the two bean balls from Cassianos and Bryant back to back, Horner comes up and hits a homer deep to left. Oh, also on Sunday, one of the home runs, Luke Croy comes up, hits his first Cubs home run, and that thing went clear out of the park. It was one of the longest home runs I've ever seen to left and really, so that was really cool for him too. He was pumped. Okay, my last question. You brought up an interesting point there with the bean balls. When Joe Madden inevitably gets fired because he does not win out and then win out in the playoffs, is <laughs> Is Clint Hurdle the ideal manager for the Cubs as somebody who can instill a culture of winning and a sense of urgency based off playing the game the right way? You know what? If it's not Clint Hurdle, give me Bobby Cox. That's who should be managing this group of uh, peaking all-stars. I don't know. That's that's my good. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and if, if if like this playoff run is living or dying by the, uh, the games remaining, which we'll talk about in my Cubs big story, but... Uh, We'll do that just after the player of the week. So uh, who was the player of the week for the White Sox, Pat? Yeah, so this week uh, we had a couple good offensive performances, but my player of the week is uh, Eloy Jimenez. Uh, pretty uh, solid week, uh, which, you know, he's struggled a little bit this year. He's had ups, he's had downs, he's a rookie, he'll figure it out. I'm not worried. Uh, I, he better figure it out, otherwise we're in big trouble. But anyways, this week... 435 batting average, 500 OBP with an 870 slugging with three homers and 11 RBIs, uh, including a couple big ones against the Royals, a three-run homer and a grand slam. Uh, On the year, that brings his average up to 259 with a 309 OBP. He has 27 home runs, which I believe, uh, as he entered play today, leads, I believe it's all major league rookies. No, because obviously he doesn't have more than Pete Alonso, all AL rookies. And he has 69 RBIs on the year, a very nice total for a rookie player getting through his first major league season. I see what you did there. Um, yeah. So would you take his whole career with that stat line every year? Um. So extrapolating it out, and you're going to tell me he's going to hit like around 260, 270 with 30 to 35 home runs every year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd take that. I think that'd be totally fine. That's like kind of the question that was posed earlier on White Sox Twitter. Is like, if you could get Jermaine Dye, like, like Jermaine dies, you know, extrapolated out to a whole career uh, out of Eloy. I'd take that. I mean, we ideally we have guys that are going to be bigger stars. Like you got Moncada, you got uh, Luis Robert. Hopefully, you got a couple other guys coming up. I if you could give me like two sixty to two seventy with third somewhere in the thirty to forty range from Eloy every season, I'll take that. I would sign up for that. Right? Yeah, I would too. I'm gonna be honest. Um, so the Cubs player of the week, you'd think it would be Nico Horner because of how I've been talking about him. But he gets second place if we're giving that out, which we shouldn't because there's only one player of the week. Um, Chris Bryant went 11 for 22 with five home runs and 13 RBIs in a week of baseball. Uh, so he batted 500. Uh, Horner 
was close, not there, 11, same number of hits, 11 for 29, two homers, 11 RBI. Now, it's Horner's first week of professional baseball, so he should get a little bit of a bump, but I'm giving it to KB. Um, the thing of it, though, is it, if you asked anybody at the stadium, they would have probably said Horner had the better week, not only looking at the numbers, just because Chris Bryant is just such a boring baseball player <laughs> that, like, it's never exciting. A lot of his hits are, are bloops or, or, you know, just sharp singles through the holes, but, but he's just a great baseball player. Just not not exciting, and the the debate has come up a couple times with everybody. I've talked to a bunch of people, and with Castellanos tearing it up like it is, you look at the guys that are possible re-signs, uh, Contreras, Javi, KB, and I guess you could throw Castellanos in there. Of those four, the odd man out for most people is Chris Bryant, um, and I don't disagree with that, honestly. But anyway, KB, player of the week. Fair enough. I actually got a good idea for you. Remember a couple weeks ago when I didn't name a player of the week? Yeah. Well, well to help reward Nico Herners uh, for, you know, great first week in Major League Baseball, we can retroactively name him White Sox player of the week from three weeks ago. I think that works out well for everybody. I'll take it, and so will he. So that, that void on the wall of uh, faces that we're going to put together at the end <laughs> is, is now filled. We'll have to Photoshop a White Sox cap onto him, but... Uh, I'm sure he will take it. If oh, I went absolutely. up to him working the game next weekend, which is my next scheduled game, and said, congratulations, four weeks ago you were the White Sox player of the week, I would love to see his reaction to it. I That would be great. I'd love to see. He'd probably be like, what the hell is he talking about? But, you know, maybe he'd, come, he'd surprise us with him. But in any ways, uh, yeah, congratulations to Nico. He had a hell of a week for the Sox in middle. <laughs> I just imagine saying it facially facial expression would probably be something along the lines, along the lines of someone who just caught a whiff of shit. Like, <laughs> Probably. That'd be that's pretty that's pretty on point. Definitely. Okay, so we move to big stories. I want to talk about the Cubs. Uh and it's obviously the playoff race. Um, like I said, Cubs are two back of the Cardinals and one ahead of the Brewers. They're done playing the Brewers, they lost the season series to the Brewers, so if there was a one a game one sixty three, Milwaukee would host this time, unlike last year when the Cubs hosted because they had the better record. But in any case, um, the remaining schedule for the three teams makes it interesting. Milwaukee probably has the softest schedule, the Cubs the second, and the the Cardinals probably the hardest. So Milwaukee's remaining opponents, Padres, Pittsburgh, Reds, Rockies. So no playoff teams there. Um, they did just lose Christian Yelich, though. So, I mean, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough sled ahead of them. They're nine of their last ten, though, so they're playing the hottest of the three. Cubs and Cardinals both 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So Cubs remaining schedule, Reds, Cardinals, Pirates. So they have seven games left against the Cardinals. So that pretty much will decide the division, I think, uh, barring, you know, a couple uh, two-game splits, keep it the same, and, you know, whatever. It's, it's going to be it's the most important week and a half of baseball for both teams. Uh, Cardinals, like I said, have the hardest. They play the Nationals, who are leading the wild card race right now, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, who are on the outside looking in, and the Cubs again. So it's anybody's guess. We keep, we keep counting Milwaukee out because they're pitching and now they're injured, but they just keep winning, so they're always still in it. There's also a possibility that all three of these teams make the playoffs. I would love for the Cubs to win the division, but uh, who's to say? You know. But in any case, uh, I like the Cubs' chances to make the playoffs. Like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to switch my tune of last week and say that they're going to make a deep run. But... Uh, I would love to see some baseball when it gets a little chilly out there and uh, the stakes are really high. Um, yeah, but that's, that's just kind of how it is. Without Rizzo, though, I mean, he went down today. Uh, 
X-rays were negative on fractures. He's getting an MRI tomorrow to see if there's any ligament damage. Something tells me it's just a pretty bad sprain, um, but definitely not something you want to see. He'll probably miss that first Cardinal series and probably be back for the final one, is my guess with this whole thing. Um, Caratini does a good first base. Ian Happ did a good job, too, so um, it's not a defensive thing that's an issue, but he's one of your best hitters, and he just got... Uh, he just got hurt fielding a bunt against the pitcher against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's just, it's just shitty. But it is what it is. Yeah. Eh, about a bad luck. I think I got to agree with you there. The, the Rizzo injury is big, but I just, I honestly don't see a scenario where the Cubs don't make the, the playoffs in some fashion. I feel like the NL the last, what, month, you've just had that team that gets hot, and then it's, oh, my God, they're going to catch the Cubs, and then what happens? They cool off because they're not as good of a team. You had the Mets, you had the Diamondbacks. I think that's going to keep happening. Uh, and personally, I think the Brewers are dead. I don't really care. I, 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 their whole I'll win one for Yelly. That no, they're they're dead. They're missing their best player that was holding them together. They're missing their pitching. They're going to fade. Uh, and they don't have any games against the Cubs left to help catch them. So I don't know. I don't see it there. It, I don't. It, winning the division is going to be interesting because uh, you definitely do not want to get Washington in that one game playoff. But you know, it should at least be an exciting fi- finish nonetheless. That's the thing, though. They're, the Milwaukee's only one back of the Cubs, and their schedule is is baby cake. Like it's San Diego, Pittsburgh, Reds, Rockies. Like those teams bind. Yeah, I mean it's not great. So I mean, and all they have to do is win one game. The Cubs don't win, and they're tied. So I I'm not counting them out. I think there's there's been like three or four times where you or I have said Milwaukee's dead, and here they are with you know 13, 14 games to go. Uh, one game out of a playoff spot. So I'm not counting them out yet. Um, it does suck that they lost Yelich, but they, that, that roster is still pretty stacked. Uh, that's just kind of how I feel about it. I'm more worried about the Cardinals, even though they have the toughest schedule, uh, just because they are playing really hot right now and they're inspired by their non-Mike Matheny manager. Fair enough, yeah. Heaven, the best thing that ever happened to that franchise was losing Mike Matheny last year. I think that's pretty obvious to see. They've been a totally different team since that happened. What last year with the whole Matt Carpenter and the salsa, that whole deal. Now they're just a better oh, team, God. which, you know, I guess having one hot player and a whole thing with victory salsa is not as good as having just a baseball team who would have thought. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Personally, I'm willing to die on the hill of the Brewers being dead. I don't, I don't see it. All right, we'll put it on record. Uh, so what is the big story for the White Sox this week? Well, looking to the other side of town in the playoff push, no, I mean, there's not really a big story at this point. Uh, I'm honestly, I'm going to go with the same thing I had last week. It is the Triple Crown tracker. How are our guys doing in the Triple Crown race? First, batting average. Tim Anderson is still leading the American League in batting average with a 333 average. Uh, DJ LeMay Hughes, a couple points behind him at 329. Then you got Michael Brantley at 322. Uh, a little bit further behind them is Alberto from Baltimore at 316. So T.A. certainly is a lead right now. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold on. He's a very streaky player, so just as easily as he could hit 400 the rest of the way, he could hit 200. Uh, I'm rooting for him, but yeah, I don't know. That's going to be tough. The more commanding lead in the Triple Crown tracker is Jose Abreu's lead in the ALRBI race. He right now is at 116. With the next closest people behind him are uh, Jorge Soler and Rafael Devers at 107, and then Xander Bogarts is 106. So with, what, two weeks to play, he's got a 9-RBI lead uh, on the rest of the competition. I think he's going to end up winning that. I don't see a scenario where he gets out-ribbied, uh, so to speak, if that's uh, an actual term, oh, by 9 or more the rest of the way. So even though we don't have much to play for as a team and the guys I wanted to get called up 
uh, in September are not here, there's at least something to pay attention to down the stretch, which I guess is more than I've been able to say the last two years, so I'll take it. How many wins would you uh, give the White Sox, or how many more do they need? So what's their final record for you to say this was respectable as a franchise for the year, despite all the bullshit? So that's tough. I mean, they won more more than last year, so I guess that's good. Going into the year, I wanted it to be 75, uh, 75 to 80. I guess maybe that was before the Rodon injury and a couple other uh, things that didn't break their way. But... I think overall, the win, I'd like to see them hit 70. Uh, I mean, they're at 65 right now, so they should be able to get to 70. I, a perfect world, I would love 73 because then you have under 90 losses. I don't, th- that's going to be tough. I don't know if that's going to happen. But if they could get to 70-plus wins, which would be a eight or more game improvement on last year, going along with the strides we've seen out of Moncada, Giolito, uh, T- Tim Anderson, the flashes we've seen from Eloy, I, I think that's a successful year. I mean, there's been a lot of ups and downs and garbage we've had to deal with along the way, but in the grand scheme of things, it's at least a positive. Next year, totally different story. Next year, they need to start being on the verge of competing. Otherwise, I'm going to have a lot of doubts. But uh, as the last year in the grace period, so to speak, yeah, g- give me at least 70. So tune in for season two, the first tier of uh, the <laughs> anger of Pat possibly. No, hopefully not. Okay, time to move on to, obviously, the best segment in in Chicago sports podcasting, the LinkedIn player profile. LinkedIn player profile is where we go and talk about a former Cub, former White Sox, see what they're doing using LinkedIn as a primary source, maybe a little some fun. I've got pretty good today. I'm going to start first because usually I just have a good one and I make Paco first, so I'm, I'm throwing you a little curveball there, Pat. Um, but the Cubs LinkedIn player profile of the week is Taylor Teagarden and You probably don't remember Taylor Teagarden, but he did play for the Cubs, and here is his career. So, he was a Texas Ranger from 2008-2011, Baltimore Oriole from 2012-2013, a Met in 2014, and a Chicago Cub in 2015. But he didn't just get born into the majors, he was born December 21st, 1983. He is... From Texas, I believe, yeah. And he went to the University of Texas where he was a member of the 2005 NCAA National Championship team. I would like to see who else was on that team. But in any case, uh, he was drafted in the third round in 2005 by the Texas Rangers, and uh, his first uh, major league hit was a solo home run, which happened uh, off uh, against Minnesota Twins. So you can relate to wanting to beat up on the Twins there, Pat. Yep. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty below average statistic-wise, uh, batting average 202, 21 home runs, 70 RBIs. Um, I remember his time with the Cubs was short. He was only there in 2015, but that was the the first year that the window was open, so anybody that played in that year um, was, was pretty fun. Uh, he had a pretty good... Uh, uh, that line in Iowa, so he got called up. He was batting 294 with 19 RBIs in 43 games, so nothing crazy, but behind the behind the plate he was pretty good and he was Miguel Montero's backup at the time he was also an Olympian he played in uh, the tradition for baseball in 2008 in Beijing and was a bronze medalist and the world university championship whatever the hell that is was a gold medal uh, appearance in 2004 in Hainan for the US national team so a possible American hero um, what I most remember about his career was the PED allegations. So on December 26, 2015, so uh, Boxing Day, if I'm not mistaken, 
Uh, T-Garden was named in an Al Jazeera report linking him to performance enhancing drug usage. T-Garden is shown in an undercover video talking about his PED usage in years past. T-Garden initially made no comment on the video, and then on April, 20, April 1st, 2016, T-Garden was suspended for 80 games for violating the MLB's drug and treatment program and just retired and said, nah, I'm good. Peace out. So that is the career of Taylor Teagarden, but what is his LinkedIn all about? Of course, I have the notification. You both worked at the Chicago Cubs. Say hello. I just may. Um, but pretty bare um, when it comes to uh, LinkedIn's, but it's informative enough, I guess. He's got 159 connections, so it's a little bit of work to do. But uh, professional baseball player for the Texas Rangers Baseball Club for six years. It's basically just whatever teams he was on. Chicago Cubs for less than a year. Then, of course, the three-year hiatus of him not doing anything. Maybe he was just putting his feet up. But uh, in any case, he is now National Account Manager at Champion Contractors and Services in Austin, Texas area. And he's been doing that for a year and seven months. So it is nice to see that uh, Taylor has found other ways to occupy his time that don't involve steroids. Although I don't really hate steroids. I think they're pretty fun. If we're going to juice the balls, we might as well go all the way. Um, but, yeah, he's got a, a nice professional picture. He's in a button-up or button-down, whatever you want to call it. No background um, behind the uh, the LinkedIn picture, which, you know, could use a little work. But, uh, yeah, that is the LinkedIn player profile, Taylor Teagard. And I also recall he had a walk-off hit in uh, one of the 2015 games. So that's how I remember that ridiculous name. But in any case, yeah, pretty standard for LinkedIn player profile. But uh, he was a good cup nonetheless. Yeah, interesting. You know, a couple points there. I think first and foremost, we both certainly uh, thank him for his service to this country and winning a bronze medal in the Olympics. Uh, so we'll never forget that. Um, on the other side of things, I do love the whole PED move of getting caught, getting suspended, and then retiring because that's exactly what Manny did when he was on the Rays uh, to end his career. It, not sure if you remember that because he went from the Sox, then went to the Rays in the offseason, got caught, and then was like, nah, yeah, I'm done. So Yeah, always, I do remember that. It's always it's always good to see that. Um we also have a current user on the White Sox in Wellington Castillo, so maybe there's a steroid ring going on there in uh, Cubs catch, the Cubs catching ring. Yeah, I could see uh, Chad Noble passing out the goods, the, the bullpen <laughs> catcher for the Cubs. And now I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, I, I do uh, – it is a possibility with those catchers, man. They, uh, they need to get the edge somehow. Yeah, gotta, um, gotta if you have a name like strong. Taylor Teagarden, you better be a baseball player. <laughs> no, that is true. That's a lot of pressure on <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Pat, so who do you have this week for your LinkedIn player profile for the White Sox? So, yeah, I don't got anybody too notable. It's uh, Jerry Owens, an outfielder that was with the Sox from 06 to 09, most notably in 2007 when he served as the primary leadoff guy for the team in their absolutely atrocious season following the World Series in 05 and what would have been in the current uh, construction of Major League Baseball, a second wildcard team in 06. Uh, so where does his life begin? He hails from Hollywood. I like the alliteration I just did there. Uh, he played high school football as a wide receiver, uh, getting the ball thrown to him from Kyle Bowler, uh, the eventual NFL quarterback. He then went to UCLA for football, but transferred to the Masters College after, and I think you mentioned this about suspecting a player wrote their own Wikipedia page. Uh, I'm thinking that too here. Uh, he transferred to the Masters College to play baseball after, quote, several injuries and a revelation. They don't talk about what that revelation is, but it happened. And again, how would you know that unless this is you? Uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, he was drafted by the Expos then in the second round of the 03 draft before being traded to the White Sox in February 05 
for Alex Escobar. Uh, worked his way up through the system, was a minor league all-star in 05, and debuted in 06, appearing in 12 games for the White Sox that season. Uh, he was then, the, like I mentioned, the primary leadoff hitter in 07, playing center field, beating out Brian Anderson for that role. Uh, he appeared in 93 games that year. He hit 267 with one home run and 32 steals. So I guess, you know, back before the juice ball launch angle era, not a bad season for a leadoff guy. Uh, unfortunately for him, he dealt with injuries most of the rest of the way in 08 and 09. He was cut by the Sox after hitting just 083, a little bit above the Daniel Polka line in 12 games in 2009. He then signed with Seattle on a minor league deal in 09, never made it to the majors, and signed a minor league deal for the Nationals, uh, coming back home to the Montreal Expo slash Washington Nationals for 2010. Uh, never saw the majors and never played in a, the, a major league organization again. He then appeared with the Lancaster Barnstormers in 2013 before moving south of the border to the Mexican League. Uh, played for a couple teams there uh, in the Mexican Baseball League for the Paratas de Campeche. I'm pronouncing that horribly wrong in 2013. He appeared in seven games and then was assigned to the Tigras de Quintana Roo uh, out by Cancun uh, in 2014 and 2016. He also played with the uh, Naranjeros de uh, Hermosillo in me the Mexican Winter League for four years, actually winning the batting title in 2013 uh, with a 361 batting average. Uh, he then retired from professional baseball in November of 2016, uh, saying he was no longer physically able to do it, which again was from the Wikipedia page and again, kind of not something you would expect to be in there for such an obscure player, so he must have some authoring, authoring skills. What has he been doing since then? LinkedIn is pretty bare. Uh, really, the only things on there are his experience with uh, Major League Baseball, uh, and it, he currently apparently coaches basketball at MB, MPB Academy. I don't know what that is or where it is, and he is a coach in the Indians organization. His LinkedIn isn't much help for that. Uh, I had to do some uh, uh, Big J journalism to figure out that he was a bench coach for their AAA team in Columbus in 2017 and has been a manager of one of their uh, uh, Arizona Rookie League teams uh, the last two seasons. The only other thing I was able to get from his LinkedIn is that he knows, in quote, some Spanish. So his language is some Spanish, which he undoubtedly picked up during his tenure in the Mexican League, I would hope. So knowing some Spanish is good. But, yeah, that's really all I got on him. Uh, not a great LinkedIn page, but at least some notable twists and turns throughout his career. So that is the White Sox career of one Jerry. Yeah, thinking about Jerry's uh, profile, I should put some spanish and some greek on my my linkedin profile i think, I think that yeah. would help maybe yeah, well, that would lead to a revelation too it could it could certainly and it yeah i mean you know it might may, maybe even lead me to a revelation that i'm playing the wrong sport but alas uh yeah not the greatest career but uh he he, he really should put authoring on there because yeah definitely writing is which you love to see yeah the the bobby scales method of self-promotion <laughs> you love to see it Mm -hmm. So that ends uh, episode 26 of the Shoeless Code Pod. But we will not end it without, of course, asking Pat a question he has not heard before, and this is a good one. Obviously, Eddie Money Pinheiro delivered the field goal to win for the Chicago Bears against the uh, Denver Broncos. So a football-baseball crossover question for you, Pat. So you only get one, and the other will not occur. Would you rather in your lifetime... One Bears Super Bowl, or I guess in your lifetime, another Sox World Series. So if the, if you pick Bears Super Bowl, the Sox never won a World Series in your lifetime, and vice versa. Oh, man, that one's tough. See, because there's two ways I lean. 
personally, a White Sox World Series would mean more to me than a Bears Super Bowl would. But I guess when I was 10, I got the White Sox World Series, and a Bears Super Bowl would probably be the craziest thing to happen to the city. So that might be a little bit more fun. So that's, I guess, you know, you got to balance the two things here. Uh, God, I hate, this is tough. This is a good, this is the type of questions, you know, that's that's good to ask because it really racks the old brain a little bit. I think, I don't know, I, just for myself, I think I'd have to go, I'd rather see a White Sox World Series just because, like I said, personally, that would mean more to me. Uh, as much as I love the Bears in football, I'm always more of a White Sox fan than I am a Bears fan. So I'd have to go that way. But if it happened the other way, I honestly wouldn't. If I only got to see one, if it happened the other way, I wouldn't be that upset. Yeah, my tune's a little different because I was 22 when the yeah, Cubs won the fair. World Series, so I could fully enjoy it. Uh, um, unlike being 10. I mean, you can enjoy it as much as you can when you're 10. But uh, Dude, fourth grade yeah, is so wild I'm, the next day. Yeah. Uh, so was it? I thought it was fifth grade. I know we're the same age. It might it have been my, ma- my math. Yeah, my math's probably a bit off there. Maybe it's time to go back to fifth grade. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Billy Madison but, uh, style. I'd, I'd go. I'd go Bears Super Bowl. Not only that, Cubs fans are used to. Um, World Series droughts, and I'm assuming I'll live around you know, between 55 and 70 years or so. Who knows? So that's nothing to a Cubs fan. 55 to 70 years without a, I mean, that's you know, yeah, that's they can handle bad. that. Dude, that's for Chicago baseball. That. I mean, the Sox went 88 yeah. years. We're like we're like championship camels. You know what I'm saying? Like we can just <laughs> we get game. one and we're good for a while. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. yeah, exactly. But uh, also, yeah, you kind of touched on it. Uh, a Bears Super Bowl win would be everyone celebrating together, whereas a Cubs or mm-hmm. White Sox World Series is a is a divided celebration. Yep. Um, but, but a celebration nonetheless. But yeah, uh, I figured I'd ask that because of course the Bears are Super Bowl bound this year after this that oh, riveting offensive back. display. Dude, I was about ready to Absolutely. fire the entire franchise, but now they're back. They're back on track. Nagy's in the Hall of Fame. Mitch is a, is a Pro Bowl quarterback. We're we're all back. We're good. Everything's fine. You heard it here first. And you won't, you, it, and it won't be the last time you hear it. Okay, so that concludes 26. You can listen to 26 as well as 27 and, and all the future episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, not iTunes, and lmbfsports.com. Pat, it was a pleasure doing this again as we do every Sunday. Any last thoughts? Absolutely, you know, definitely good to ride the wave, the positive vibes after a Bears win. So, you know, I'm feeling good right now. Let's keep this going. Get me a Tim Anderson batting title. Uh, Jose Abreu RBI title to get the sabermetric people mad, and I will consider this success. Uh, I'm going to change my mind on that next week. But anyways, I'll ride it out for today. You'll love to see it. Okay, Uh, and remember, everybody, Yachty Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs. Red Sox. Go Bears. Same old place, sweet home, Chicago.